0: Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we have a very special guest. Today, we have Erica Rooney, Chief People Officer at Blue Acorn ICI. Hi, Erica, how are you?
1: I am fabulous, Oz. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: I gotta tell you, I'm very excited to have you on. We did a pre-call about a month ago, and then I added you on LinkedIn, and you, like me, you got some posts out there. You've got some takes. I'm liking those takes. I'm liking everything I'm seeing. I was so excited for this conversation. It kind of wet my appetite, so to speak, to dive in because there's so many different ways we could go with this.
1: Oh, LinkedIn is my favorite, and I do the most on LinkedIn. Let's just be real. So let's start here, okay, because
0: you got a lot going on. We just talked about your kids' sports schedule. We talked about your work. We talked about your executive coaching. So with two kids, C-suite, executive coaching, first question, how do you do it all?
1: And that is the question that everybody asks me anytime they meet me for the first time and they're like what do you do because i never want to sell myself short i used to just say oh i do hr and then i started to realize that doesn't encompass everything and like i do a lot and i should be dang proud of that so then i started adding it all in and people just would look at me because i would keep going and they're like how do you do it and i had to be very honest with them and i was like you know honestly I had to let go of some of the unrealistic expectations that I was putting on myself to be everyone to everything and do all the things. So when people tell me, how do you do it all? I tell them, I don't. So case in point, you and I were talking about my kid's sports schedule today. I'm not going to tonight's game. And that's okay. Cause he's got like three others this week that I can go to, but I used to be that mom and that C-level leader that had to be at every meeting and doing all the things and spreading myself too thin. And when I finally decided to let go of these unrealistic expectations that nobody else was putting on me but myself, I was able to actually do more stuff.
0: Ooh, I really like that answer. And there's a big time lesson in there for many people earlier in their career, probably spreading themselves too thin in a lot of ways. And you just have to understand and accept I can't be in every meeting. I can't make every decision. And being in the role you are, I bet it helps to have an incredible team that you can delegate things to with complete trust.
1: Fair? Having a strong team is the most important piece of this. And I'll tell you a great story. I actually was with my payroll and benefit specialist the other day. And she goes, well, you saw that email. And I said, well, I saw it come through. But then I saw it was directed to you. So I deleted it. Do you need anything? Amazing. See, I have the utmost trust in you that you can handle that. If it's directed at you, I'm going to let you run with it. And if you need me, you can tag me in. But so, yeah, I really didn't read that. What did it say? And she laughed and she's like, well, I guess that really is a good thing.
0: It's empowering. It's vulnerability on your part. We know we've seen too many leaders who think they know everything or at least pretend to know everything. That's not a great quality in a leader. I love that. I think that's a great answer. I got to ask this a little more holistically though, okay? We're waiting for Celsius to sponsor our podcast. So we know how I get my energy. How do you get yours? Do you meditate? Do you get enough sleep? I mean, you got a lot going on. So how do you just keep your body and mind ready and where it needs to be?
1: I am a sleep queen. I will say that. And when I say I am a sleep queen, it is because I am an early riser. So I am up and doing things by 5 a.m. That means my alarm clock goes off typically at 4.45 in the morning. I know. Oh, I boy. see your eyes. You're like, "Holy crap. Oh, boy. This oh, boy. does all this. But I'm a 5 a.m.er And I'm up and I am doing stuff. And I don't stop until I put my kids to bed. But when I put my kids to bed, I go to sleep, which is around 9 o'clock. So I'm very religious about my sleep schedule and protecting my sleep. And I also make sure that I do all of the things that keep me energized, like fuel my body, exercise, move. And one of my core values is health and wellness. So that comes from a long story about entering personal training and having my first corporate gig in health and wellness, that it was just instilled in me how important it was. And I always go to this metaphor that if you drive a BMW 3 Series M Sport, you're not going to roll up and put the cheapest gas in the tank. You're going to pay the big bucks. And I can say this because that's what my husband does. So I've learned. (laughs) But you have to put the good things into your body if you want good things to come out. And if you want to operate at your optimal performance and your peak performance. And I believe in tracking a lot of those things. I recently bought the Aura Ring. This is not an advertisement. But it helps me see what days I really need to focus more on recovery and taking it easy. Versus what days I can ramp it up and go out there and run 5 or 10 miles. So huge, huge person on what you put in your body is what you're going to get out. But sleep is the biggest.
0: Future sponsor, Aura Ring. Just getting rang out there. You got to love that. And I got to say this. I love the car analogy. because What I tell my kids, and I got four of them myself, is your body, imagine it's a car that you can't get rid of for like 80 to 90 years, right? And you just take a completely different approach now to making sure it's washed, making sure you're putting in the right fuel, making sure you're getting that oil change. It's the same thing because this is what we've got for our lives. And so you've got to treat it well. Otherwise, it's going to be breaking down on the side of the road in the not too distant future. So I love that car analogy. Something came to mind when you said waking up at 4.45 in the morning though. And I don't want to get too personal here, but as a husband, I'm thinking about my sleep schedule. Are you and your husband on the same sleep schedules? Absolutely
1: not. (laughs) the
0: opposite, huh?
1: We are complete opposites. He does not get out of that bed until I'm probably getting the kids out the door around seven in the morning, but he stays up much later than I do. And there is no way in heck that he could ever adapt to my sleep schedule. And I don't want to try to adapt his, but I talk with a lot of women that I work with and I tell them that they have to find what works for them. And that's the same, like in any marriage as well. Like he's not going to do what I do and I'm not going to do what he does. He operates optimally at night. Yeah. So he'll be at his computer sometimes tinkering away and I'm like, you would not get a sentence strung together by me at this hour. So you have to pay attention. Don't just be getting up at 5 a.m. because I said I get up at 5 a.m. Don't do that if it doesn't make you feel good. And when you truly pay attention to the signs that your body is telling you, like if you have a really crappy workout every day at six o'clock a.m., six o'clock is not your workout time. Yeah, That's not normal. If you notice that you do really well at noon, kill it.
0: Yeah, this is a podcast where we typically don't give our relationship advice, but I'm going to do it right now. I think it's a misconception that you have to find somebody that's on your exact wavelength. If I look at the Rooney family, y'all are productive from 1 a.m. to 445 a.m. Okay, that's amazing. Y'all are getting a lot done. <laughs> the hours of operation
1: are much more extended. <laughs> yes,
0: you guys are like a Waffle House, essentially. Amazing. I love that. I want to dive into Blue Acorn ICI. So you came there during the pandemic. It's obviously you have some really strong values when it comes to life, work, balance, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and culture. So I want to know, when you are going to take on a role of this magnitude, where you are really the be-all, end-all around some of these very important issues or concerns within an organization, what was appealing to you about joining Blue Acorn as the Chief People Officer? And what have you been able to do to kind of move that forward since you joined?
1: It was such an interesting opportunity that was presented at the time because historically Blue Acorn was four different LLCs that had four different cultures, four different benefit plans, different leadership, all across the board. And I was brought in, all of these were purchased by a private equity firm to join everybody up together to form one Blue Acorn ICI, which meant bringing all those cultures and people and process together. And I thought, I don't know that I will ever be presented with something like this again, from an HR perspective, right? Like that is such a unique opportunity. Culture is my favorite piece, right? Culture, DEIB, all of that is my favorite part about HR. So it was really something I was very passionate about. But the other thing that was really awesome was the leadership team itself was so diverse. So we have a dual CEO model. One of our CEOs is Latino. The other is a person of color. And we had multiple women in the executive team. No. Now we've even upped that and we're now at 49% female. Yeah. So yeah, we walk the walk and just having that passion at the top is not something you typically see across the board. So DEIB is huge there, but knowing that everybody wanted to bring these cultures together was something that I was extremely passionate about. When I tell you we were working with night and day... There was an analogy that I was told upon entering, and it was that this one office was too serious. You had to tell them to like unbutton that top button and loosen the tie. We're in tech, it's not that serious. And one of the other offices, you had to remind them to wear pants. (laughs) And that's how different they were. And so I was like, this is gonna be a challenge. And so that's exactly what we were brought in to do. And we had a culture survey that was completed. So we knew where we were headed. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, which nobody really anticipated. So I started with Blue Acorn maybe two days after everybody went remote. And it was this whole, like, okay, we'll be out for two weeks thing. Yep. That just kept getting extended and extended and extended. So everything we ever knew about culture, the survey that we completed, everything was almost just trash because this was a whole new world we'd never been a part of. Sure. So we were constantly trying to figure out how do we keep people engaged How do we care for our people? How do we operate in this crazy tech environment where salary swings were across the board and continue to make our business profitable? And it was not easy. We had some hard times because we went the route that we decided we weren't going to adopt these wide salary swings that people were doing. I mean, we had people leaving for $100,000 more a year. It's insane. But... Those companies that were hiring people for $100,000 more are also the companies doing tech layoffs. Yep. We haven't had to do any of that. So now that we're on the other side of this crazy COVID mess that there was, and we can actually pat ourselves on the back a little bit to say, we made it through some hard years, but we did not have to cut people's jobs. And that is one of the most impactful things for me, because I believe that leaders in an organization, the key thing they promised you was employment. And when you take that away, you shatter their trust. And you also shatter the trust of your entire employee population because who's not to say that they're next?
0: Yeah, there's a difference between short-term and long-term thinking. And a lot of times the short-term decisions a business has to make are because they're looking at the longer-term view. There's so many different things that you said there that I want to bring up. I remember walking out of here, I think it was like March 13th or something like that, and like telling everybody like, hey, grab your stuff, grab your monitors. You know, We're probably going to be gone for at least two to three weeks. And everyone was like, two to three weeks? Are you serious? Ended up being two years. So that was a really interesting time, obviously. I have to imagine because of that, one of the things that I was really grateful for is that we had had a really strong culture when the pandemic hit. And so it was more about kind of supporting and maintaining that and just finding new ways to channel that through the pandemic. And I'm grateful for that because if I was in your position, that degree of difficulty goes up times 100 because you said the culture was, it's completely like everything you thought, it's obsolete because it's a completely new world doing everything virtually. To post to when you're doing anything in kind of your more traditional back in the day, nine to five kind of office hybrid situation. And I think the thing you said about the salaries and people leaving for the salaries at the time, I was thinking the same thing because in the recruiting industry, especially people were getting paid money, hand over fist to go to all these different companies and getting salaries, 30, 40% unseen. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of those people were impacted and I want to help those people. But thing that really stood out to us in our decision as a leadership group, and it sounds like it was similar to you is We do not set our core values as an organization solely based on what we see happening externally, right? We're not, oh, man, next door, they've got a ping pong table. We got to get a ping pong table. They're doing this. We got to do this. We have core things that we believe as a leadership and as an organization and specifically in myself as a founder that we're going to adhere to through rain or shine. And that's not to say that we won't take in new data and new information and change accordingly. But just to be changing to the whims of what your competitor is doing or what you see happening, I think a lot of times that can lead to mistakes. Like you said, the employment is really the key agreement when you bring somebody on. I take that super seriously. In fact, I go out of my way to talk about one of the biggest reasons where employees and employers mess up is that there's this lack of trust. And a lot of that is because so many decisions recently have been made as if we're looking at line items and saying, Well, we got to get rid of that. We got to do that. These are people's lives and you don't treat them like numbers. And so that doesn't mean you can make every decision that everybody's going to love and agree with or that's not going to impact individuals. But if you're looking at that bigger picture and you're doing it in the right sense based on your core values, I think you're going to be in a better spot than that. And so I'm really glad you said that. And like I said, I'm sure at times you had to question that as people were walking out the door. But now you look at it and you say, we probably made the right decision.
1: Yeah, our retention was very rough during those first few months years of COVID, it's like god time is irrelevant during that time span but we did a lot of education for our people because they will not understand why you are not doing something or why you are doing something unless you explain it to them Mm. so we tried to be as clear as possible with them about what we were trying to do and the message was very consistently we're trying to keep everybody employed we can't meet all of these salary demands and You know, if you want to leave over here to get 30, 40% more, best of luck. Like, we want that to work out for you. That's amazing. That's not going to work in our organization. You know, here are the things that are going to work in our organization right now that we're really strong with and we're going to continue to be strong with and we're going to grow you and give you these opportunities and all of these other things. But that flashy salary, we can't touch right now.
0: I think that's the right thing because I look at these technology companies and I say this without hindsight, but... I think they looked at the pandemic and was like, well, everybody's going to be inside all the time and they're just going to be using technology time and consumption is going to go up, up, up. And it was bound to happen that things were going to normalize at a certain point. And so I think the companies that took a more judicious effort there, and to your point, explain the logic of what they're doing. Again, not everyone's going to always agree with you, but at least if people know where you're coming from and you have transparency on why you're doing what you're doing, I think that really stands out with an employer. So I love that. I want to ask you a little bit about your executive coaching because you do that in addition to being the chief people officer with Blue Acorn ICI. What type of coaching do you specialize in? And then do you not have enough on your plate? Like, why are you making time for this?
1: Listen, because it is what fills my cup. It is what lights a fire. It is what I am so passionate about because I was once an individual contributor just starting out in corporate America with very few mentors or women like me to look to. So my executive coaching is strictly for women at this time because my time is limited. That's who I love to engage with. And i work with them on how they can have it all i have it all they can have it all too here's just what they need to do and i actually have them go through several areas in their life and rank it on a satisfactory scale so stack rank where do they think they need to work at or look at what do we need to talk about and we start with the pillar that is at the bottom and then oftentimes as we move up those pillars tend to change and shift based off of right. whatever's going on in their work environment how they're adapting to things But I work with them to bust through glass ceilings because my main mission is to bring women into positions of power and to keep them there. And the keep them there is the big piece of it because as we've seen all across the news lately, there are so many women who've made it into the top and then they leave because none of the societal expectations have changed. None of the work-life balance has changed. And a lot of organizations don't fully support women who work. so that is my main goal with executive coaching I absolutely do have enough on my plate but I can't deny how much joy and fulfillment it brings me when I work with these women okay so I'm curious now though so when you find that those
0: societal things that are in place for as long as they have when you see you have a client that is encountering that at their work how do you typically recommend they attack that is it a fight-or-flight type situation what do you say to them there
1: And it can be, right? Depending on the type of organization that you're in and how people are willing to bet. But I put the onus on the individual because we can only control ourselves. We cannot control the companies we work for, the leaders and the decisions that they make, but we can control how we respond. So it is up to the individual to state, like, these are my priorities. It is my priority to pick my children up from school Monday through Friday at 2.30. My leader knows that about me, and this is Erica speaking about her own life right here. There have been times when I have not felt that I could do that, but I am lucky that I'm also in a position of power, so I have more voice, but I then set that precedent out for my team, so when I'm working with women, I encourage them to be open and honest and communicate with their leaders about what are their true priorities, not just work. How does family fit in? What kind of help do you have at home? Do you have help at home? There are so many single parents out there that are in charge of everything, yet we expect them to be in front of their computer from eight to six. It's not realistic. So it's all about just doing those things to empower women to feel psychologically safe, talk to their leader, and make sure that they are creating an environment that works for them.
0: It's fantastic. I absolutely love that. You brought up glass ceilings, which I think is a concept most people are familiar with. But you and I talked about sticky floors, which I had not heard of before. I want to dig in there. Can you explain that concept to me and why it's important?
1: So I believe that there are so many women out there who are not busting ceilings because they cannot get out of their own sticky floor. And those sticky floors are limiting beliefs like imposter syndrome, perfectionism, the fear of judgment. They show up as burnout. It can also be toxic relationships, toxic behaviors, It also shows up in the isms that we're familiar with, racism, sexism, ageism. But those all have an element of control that we can identify and work through to bust through the glass ceiling. So if we're even going to go back to Erica again, I struggled with imposter syndrome when I first became an executive. I felt I'm the youngest. I'm one of the first females. Like, what do I know about this industry? Who am I to speak up? And there are real conversations that you have in your head to keep you from actually speaking up and saying the things. Okay. Perfectionism. We talked earlier about feeling the need that we had to be on every call all the time and answer every email or else we'd be seen as incompetent, right? So it's addressing those things and taking ownership of where we can control And so i work with a lot of women to name that sticky floor because that's often the hardest thing to do is recognize when that belief comes into your mind then question that sticky floor why do i think this way you know what's the worst that could happen what's the best thing that could happen and then why do i think this why am i reacting this way so it's really about getting curious about those beliefs and then step three is shifting it so shifting your mindset to really flip the script on that of I shouldn't speak up, I don't know this industry well enough to, you know what, I've got a ton of other industry experience that might be relevant and might be innovative in this industry. So why don't I speak up?
0: This is awesome stuff. We got a little preview here of why you're such a good executive coach. Hopefully after this episode comes out, we have a lot of people signing up. I really love it. I got to say though, what we want to talk about on this podcast is hiring. We are passionate about hiring here. That's what's buzzing out there. That's what's buzzing in my head at all times. We want to know people who are great at hiring, what makes them great at hiring. And so as the Chief People Officer of Blue Acorn, ICI, you have obviously throughout your career been involved with hundreds, if not thousands of hires, but you actually probably have a very different viewpoint as somebody that I hope is setting the tone on how we hire at the company and what we're looking for. So I want to start there. What is your overall hiring philosophy for people you want to bring into the organization? And how do you communicate that kind of with the hiring leaders in the org?
1: My biggest is to stop looking for culture fits and start looking for culture ads. Ooh. When you look for a culture fit, you are looking for someone to fit into your organization, which only welcomes like-minded thinking. It squashes innovation. When you look for a culture ad, you are looking for someone who is outside the box who can bring in more to your organization. So it's a challenging way of looking at it because we all want to just mesh with the people that we work with so easily. And that can come with a culture ad, but I always encourage the ad over the fit.
0: So I love that concept, but it brings something to mind immediately, right? What if you bring in somebody that is anti-ethical to the culture, right? And somebody sees that as an ad, but really, it's derelict to what you're trying to build overall as an organization. Does that happen or is that a fake worry?
1: When you say somebody who's coming in that's not ethical, right, there are those core values that we operate on. Sure. And if you don't fit into those core values, then you're not going to be a, air quote, fit at all. But you can come in and have similar values that fit in. I'm using all my air quotes for people who are listening and (laughs) watching us on video, but you can have similar values and be an ad, but not be that quote unquote fit.
0: Got it. That's interesting. That is a great concept. I had never heard of that and I am probably going to use it.
1: Use it next time you're out there interviewing because it really will switch how you look at things.
0: This episode is brought to you by MSH. MSH is an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three different continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Find out more at talentmsh.com. Why I really like it, and as I'm kind of pondering it and processing it a little bit, specifically from a diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging perspective, One of the biggest inhibitors that somebody who doesn't buy into the importance of that might be, well, they're not a cultural fit, so we can't let this person in, right? And our culture is a bunch of homogenous, you know, like-minded thinking individuals. And so that's a way to break through that, right, that agenda at the end of the day and really promote something of we need to keep adding to this great culture we have. And we do that through different experiences, different thoughts of mind, different race and creed and religion and whatever it might be. So I think that's a really, really strong thing.
1: The question that I always ask is, how will you add to the culture here?
0: Can you remember the best answer you've gotten? Oh, gosh.
1: One of them was, it stemmed off diversity. And it talked all about, I don't have the industry experience. So it opened up this opportunity for the candidate to be vulnerable, right? I don't have the industry experience. I don't even have this department experience. But this is what I do have. And they were able to kind of bring in all of the skills and knowledge and abilities from previous roles that would never have been considered in a traditional department that we were looking for.
0: Fantastic. I'm getting smarter just listening to my own podcast right now. Do you have another favorite question that you ask or is that your main one?
1: That's my main one. And then we stem off from there. But that is the one that I love to talk about around culture.
0: I love it. I'm probably going to use it, just being honest. Can you tell me about an interview that when I ask for a memorable one that says to you bad or good, could have been you interviewing, someone else interviewing, any memorable interview experiences you can share with us?
1: Oh, man. So many.
0: You don't have to name names.
1: No, I'm not going to name any names. But one of them was, this was pre-COVID in office, so people would actually come into the office. The woman came in in a full-on bathrobe and hair rollers. Stop it. I'm dead serious. And- I used to have a method with my hiring managers. It was our symbol that if we felt like an interview was going to the left, we would do a double pen tap on the notebook. And this woman walked in the door, and he started tapping the pen.
0: That's amazing. So what was the thought process? Was she late for the interview? I've never even heard of that. I thought I heard of everything in an interview.
1: Not only was she late, but she actually explained that she was not prepared because she felt the interview was the next day and the second that she realized she did not have any time to change, she had to grab a ride with her neighbor who was pulling out of the complex and she felt that showing up was more important than a call-in.
0: Yeah. So you didn't like the relentless pursuit of excellence there or that wasn't a, the right thing?
1: I offered her a chance for a redo. I was like, ma'am, I can appreciate your effort and your willingness to show up today, but I want you to feel like you are here to represent your best self. So would you like to reschedule this interview? How do you add to the
0: culture? Have you seen this bathrobe? I mean, (laughs) the answers write themselves.
1: Listen, this was back in a time when people just wouldn't show up, you know? So the fact that she just was like, screw it, I'm coming. I was like, give her another shot.
0: I like that, I like that. I gotta give her credit. She didn't get hired. She's not like on the track to be the CEO of the company because that would have made it an even better story.
1: Yeah, I did give her a second shot. She did come in for a second shot, but was not the criteria we were looking for at the time.
0: I love it. I love it. So let me ask you a question. When you miss on somebody, and invariably we all miss, right, from time to time, do you have something that you look back on that you wish you would have done differently or thought differently? Is there a theme that comes up when you miss on somebody?
1: I think the theme that I have always seen come up with both myself and with hiring managers, and this is being just brutally honest, is we form a snap judgment about people, whether good or bad, right? A lot of times it's, wow, I really like this person. I connect with them. They're right on my level. They fit in so perfect that we don't ask the questions that we should have pre-designed and that we let our unconscious mind guide us down this path which only show us answers we want to see or hear Mm. and so we're completely blindsided when they show up as their true selves but we haven't asked the questions that we intended to ask we went out on left field because we really liked the person so for me what i have seen in my own self and what i have seen in others it's when someone walks in the door and for whatever reason We make this snap judgment about liking or not liking the person for whatever reason. And then we just go down whichever tunnel, right? We give them interview questions that they can't answer that are super challenging because we've already decided we don't like this person. Confirmation bias, right? Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes.
0: Yes. We do a lot of work on that here. That is definitely a big problem. Whether it's good or bad, we tend to confirm what our first thought was throughout the rest of that interview. And that can keep us from really great hires or for making very poor hires. So let's talk about candidate experience. Obviously, everyone thinks that's an important part of the interview process, but not many people put the money where the mouth is, so to speak, right? I'm interested, how do you create a unique candidate experience for Blue Acorn ICI? And how do you give potential candidates a realistic job preview of what it's like to work there?
1: We're very, very hands-on. And the reason we went this route is because we do not have this huge robust system to send out automated emails and recaps and all of that. So we decided very early on that we would keep a very detailed list of everyone, where they were at in the process, what was going on, who they talked to. We would get their feedback immediately so that we could follow up with them immediately. And there were some bumps in the road as we hired on new people and brought new people in. But from the jump, we talked to them about what's important to them. And we really try to move through the fluff and we hone in a lot on salary and benefits that we offer because at the end of the day, most people aren't going to tell you I work for money, but guess what? We all work for money. So we cover that first. And then we talk about some of the things that we have gotten a lot of positive feedback in our culture, like our Slack channels and what we do for engagement, but we really go all in on that. And then we also talk about what's really difficult and we are just brutally honest about These are the things in the areas that are hard right now. So when we were acquired by our parent company, there was a lot of growing pains. And we told them that. We were like, look, we are trying to figure out how to integrate our projects. It's not easy right now, but it is going to let you do X, Y, and Z. But we wanted to put that out there so that people wouldn't join and then be like, well, you didn't tell me this.
0: Yeah, that's really important. You'd rather be out in front with everything so that when people get there, they don't have a false expectation that's the worst thing that can happen on both sides.
1: It is not about putting butts in the seat. It's about nah. putting the right butt in the seats.
0: And I think, honestly, our company, that is something that we focused on since 2011. Like so many different people in our industry are focused on getting the butt in the seat because that's when you invoice, right? And, and it's like, well, we just got to get them through the hiring process. And our thought process in the beginning was we want to know after the first year. Was this somebody you'd rehire again? Was this person successful? And that led to what we did from a guarantee perspective. That led to the way that we qualified. That led to the way that we checked in. And I think that's made a really big difference in impact in the quality of what we do because, I mean, listen, if any business is tuned around, how do they make money and how do you get to that point? And so in the recruiting and staffing business, it's always around getting that button in the seat and then you move on to the next one, right? I just think that's one of the biggest reasons there's such a stigma in the industry.
1: I was going to say, I think what you guys did, taking it back to 2011 was very like on the cusp of innovation for these groups. Now, I think more recruiting firms are looking for the right butts. Not all of them. I certainly deal with my fair share, but the reason there's such a shift here is also because of the different generations that are coming into our workforce. This is sure. my perspective, but if you were to bring a boomer in, a boomer is going to have that mentality of like, I got the job. It could be the worst job ever, but they are gonna stick it out and they are gonna slog it out for at least a year yep you're gonna get a gen z in there they are gonna quit without even telling you
0: they're out first date see you later i got another offer
1: recruiters really need to make sure that it's a win-win for both people for all three of us right for the employer the agency and for the candidate so i gotta ask
0: you this you're a technology company what role does technology play in hiring for you, you don't gotta name names in terms of what you use but is it an integral part of what you do is it something you like do you think it's effective do you think there's opportunity there
1: I absolutely think there's opportunity. And again, we got to go back to the history of Blue Apron and ICI. Four different LLCs, four different everything. Recruiting platforms, onboarding strategies. I mean, we're talking the wild, wild west. So we've slowly been eliminating the systems. When I started, we had over 13 different HR systems that right. I was operating in. Right. It was wild. And so we have had to narrow it down and there's so much potential in what's out there from a candidate experience and also from an HR workflow experience. And until companies are ready to say, I need and want something better, it's not going to be the justice that we want. And I say that because I have seen so many amazing platforms out there that have like a key aspect and I'm like, yes, but I need you to combine that with these other 12 things. And if we can get all that together so that it is just wrapped up in a tight little bow and then gives you perfect data, but I haven't found that yet.
0: I mean, now you're just teeing me up. No, I am totally with you. I think what exists out there, and I've said this for a long time, it's built in a way that is around moving things through a workflow rather than creating a unique experience and creating more structure. You talked about that earlier, about the importance of, I have this confirmation bias, and then I start asking, I go off my script because I'm thinking these certain things, but the technology should be keeping you in that world. It should allow you to collaborate better. It should be allow you to stick to that structure. It should be calling out your confirmation bias or any other type of biases when you see it. So definitely, definitely align with you. I was going to say 13 different HR applications. Sounds like Blue Corn ICI is the reason there's a $30 billion HR tech market cap in general. But yeah, I don't know that there's anything that's end to end solving the complete problems. I appreciate you pointing that out. Hopefully things get better in the near future like everything else has. So in terms of progressing in technology, I just find in the HR space, technology is a laggard compared to, I mean, look what we see in financial services. Look what we see in retail. Look at finance applications. Look at sales applications. Uh, There's just so much out there. So I think there's a big opportunity. All right, I want to ask you this. When you close the computer for the day and you feel like you had a super productive day, what happened
1: in that day? Usually the things that bring me the most happiness and like, yes, is when I'm able to make a difference in somebody's life. And what I mean by that is usually helping someone through a problem. So whether that's, they didn't understand their benefits and they had their kid, but they didn't add them on time and now everything's a disaster, making it simple for them. Or an employee is on a PIP, a performance improvement plan, and they just know they're on this plan because they're going to get fired, being able to talk with them, guide them through it, and then getting them off the tip and then getting them promoted later. So it's finding that resolution and helping them through something that is challenging for them.
0: You want to know why I know why you're good at what you do? You're a chief people officer. And so when you get into that level of role, you're typically looking at things generally or through data sets. And yet when I asked you what impacts you, you were looking at things down at the individual level. And I'm sure you have team members who are facilitating, leading, making those decisions for you. But the fact that you micro care about the employee issue at that level for a company of your size tells me a lot. That tells me a lot about the culture of your company. That means that the chief people officer cares about us as individuals, not just on a macro basis with wide sweeps of the brush.
1: Have you ever heard that term, eat the frog?
0: No, go ahead and tell it to me.
1: Eating the frog is when you do the thing that you don't want to do the most first. So you get it out of the way. Like you said, I'm so passionate about my people and talking with my team and working with them that I could get lost in that all day. And I will not do the cheap people-y business stuff, right? So I sit down and I block off time on my calendar at the beginning of the day. And I'm like, I'm going to look at this, you know, let me do the strategy piece of it. And I sit down and I just dive into it. I block all my distractions out because I so much enjoy actually just having the conversations with people, but that's not going to bring in the revenue (laughs) so Yeah, you got to do both. You got to find a way to balance both. But I get that done first, then I can spend the rest of my day working with the people.
0: I love that. Is there something you're working on right now that you're super juiced about? Something that gets you out of bed in the morning that you're excited about?
1: All this stuff that I'm doing is so exciting. I get to drop these podcasts every week. I get to talk to amazing women all the time. Wait,
0: wait, wait. Podcasts every week? This isn't your first podcast ever?
1: Oh, no, I have my own podcast, too.
0: Oh, my God. No wonder you're so good at this. I was thinking now Now I'm just feeling good and that's that to the list
1: of things <laughs> that I do, though. I drop two episodes a week. Oh, man. But I talk to all these amazing people, and I just put together some new content that I'm going to get out to everybody that's all about how I actually do it all. But it's the practical pieces of it, right? It's all about productivity and what I call maximizing your MVP. MVP, historically, is minimal viable product which is like the very basics of a product that you can give out to an audience to see if they'll use it but for me it is minimal vigor prereq what is the minimum amount of work that i need to do to get the maximum result? oh i'm about to blast that out to all my people later this week so like just all that stuff gets me super pumped up
0: oh i like that all right i got an old linkedin post here that i've been dying to ask you about you have a lot to choose from we talked about this earlier but this was probably my favorite. It's short and sweet. Ever lied to your boss? I have. Let's talk about it.
1: Yes. I used to feel like I had to lie to my boss all the time. And this was right when I became a new mom. I was relatively new at a company. And this is not because of anything that my boss said to me at that time. It was my own insecurities. It was how I looked at the situation and what I felt other people were doing or saying or thinking about me so as a working mom in an HR role I felt like I had to have my butt in the seat from nine to five which included an almost hour-long commute on both ends but I just always wanted to be with my kids and so there was always this pull and I never felt like I was being a great HR team member and I never felt like I was being a great mom because I always felt ripped in half And so I would find myself sneaking out. I would find myself lying about having to leave early for a kid event, all of these things. And so I would consistently lie and tell these fibs of like, oh, I have to go to the dentist office or I have to do this. I have to do that. But I was never truly being who I was as a person because I didn't feel good about lying or sneaking out. But I also didn't feel good about not being with my kids. So it was a really challenging time for me. And that's part of why I'm so passionate about... The way that I lean today, and so you can see everything that's behind me in this video camera, it is kid toys, disaster zones, I work in the playroom, it is my office as well, and I do not put up word backgrounds, I do not let other people see that it is any different than that. But I just always felt like I could never bring my whole self to work. And it's a big piece of the DEIB that I think is missing in the belonging section because, and we touched a little bit on this, but corporate America is not made for working moms in the traditional mindset. It's made on this, you've got to be present nine to five. All of my bosses were white males that had stay-at-home moms taking care of their kids, getting dinner ready. You know, I was rushing out the door to pick up my kid before that daycare, your late clock started, and I was getting charged for every minute. So I lied a lot. And then I moved up the chain into the executive team and I decided that I would never let another person on my team feel as if they had to lie about whatever they had going on in their personal life, whether that was kid related, pet related. They just want to go get Botox related. I don't care. They can do whatever they want in their personal time as long as they are showing up at work fully and authentically themselves.
0: I love that. And if you ever want to give a sense of perspective to some of those white male bosses with the housewives at home. My wife went out of town for four days, right, two weeks ago. And the level of stress I had trying to do my job, think about my job, get the kids to school, put the lunch in, get home. All these different things were in place. I mean, I was about to melt. I mean, by the time she came home, I had like a big sign up at the airport saying, welcome home. I miss you so (laughs) much. So my perspective was definitely changed. And I appreciate you bringing it up because I think it's something that happens at every company, right, with mostly females, but some males, too. And that ability to be your authentic self is what every company should want out of its employee, especially those that are hiring the whole person. So I think that is a amazing, amazing detail to your story. And I'm so appreciative that you're just being yourself. And I love that background. I love it. I love Hallie (laughs) trying to get in the door. I'm here for all of it. I'm going to ask you one last thing before you unlock the door and let her in. If you had to amplify one nugget of career advice that you have now that you didn't have early on in your career for our younger listeners out there, what would you say?
1: Do the thing you're scared of. Just do it because ask for the stretch assignment, apply for the job you didn't think you could get, and network the hell out of every event you go to.
0: I love that. All right, so if people want to find out more about Erica Rooney and they're going to want to find out more about you, what's the name of the podcast? How do they get a hold of you? What do we do?
1: Yeah, the podcast is from now to next, and you can find that wherever you are listening to this podcast. And then you can find me on all the social channels. I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Erica Anderson Rooney, and I'm on Instagram. Facebook, and I even embarrass myself on TikTok from time to time.
0: I love it. I'm going to tell you what, if you do make the decision to follow both Erica and I on LinkedIn, you might not hear any other content ever again. And that's not a bad thing. We got some good stuff we're pumping out. I want to say this. I really appreciate your time. I know you talked about your MVP earlier. You're our MVP here at Higher Learning, most valuable podcaster. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. It was great.
0: Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.